Okay, well, friends, this, uh, much like Caitlin, this is our last time together. Um, we have the honor of listening to Ambush tomorrow morning, which will be phenomenal. He always does a great job. Um, but it's our last time together, so I want to bring some things kind of full circle. Um, this is our seventh time together. And we started out on this journey about knowing God. That by the end of this week, the goal was by the end of this week, wherever we are, we would have a sense that we know him more by the time we left. And I hope you've experienced some of that. I want to give um, just a couple minutes of witness practice. Uh, There is a time of family sharing, I think tomorrow um, at some point, but witness practice of what what has God been doing? What's he been putting on your heart from this time that we've had together or something else that's happened um, during your week? So a couple people, what's been going on? Someone wants to talk. I know you do. You're feeling the nudge right now, but you're not sure if you should. I'm telling you, you should. You're fine. Yeah. Very true, very true. Yeah, having fun without putting other people down, especially in the Western culture, it's, uh, it, it's pretty much what humor is in most movies and things like that. So yeah, it's good. Anyone else? Anyone else want to share? It's good. Yes. Oh, Okay. Hmm, that's good. So if you couldn't hear her, she said that she actually used to work here about eight years ago, and uh, she felt like God this week has really brought her back to the basics, that life got complicated, God got complicated, and she really feels kind of brought back um, in a foundational way this week, which is awesome. Praise God. Praise God. So we have uh, talked about knowing God versus knowing about God, choosing to sacrificially act regardless of the situation. That's agape love. It's a rare love. It is our God's love. It's his signature, and we are supposed to be uh, demonstrating that to all those around. It's the Abba kind of love. Abba, Abba, we won the game, Abba. That kind of love. The purpose of the church, God's strategy for us to be a witness. We are already wired up for it. We are walking, talking, posting witnesses to something or someone. We can't help ourselves. It is truly our choice, though, whether or not God is the object of our witness. And then we talked about God being fun and playful, and that fun needs to be a part of our faith. Now, there's also responsibilities. I don't mean to get the wrong idea out of that message, Uh, but I wanted to push on the fun component, because I think fun truly is extremely important in today's church. And then this morning we talked about there an urgency and an effort that accompanies God's heart for the lost. 
Connecting with his heart in this way helps us know him. So tonight we're going to talk about success. How do you know if you're knowing God? How do you know if you're heading in the right direction? What is success? Well, the world, I think, has success. I want to make sure people can see this at an angle. Um, if a tornado comes, this whiteboard is going to still be standing. This thing, it's built to last. Okay, um, so how do we know what success is? What is success? Well, success in most areas of life, success is synonymous with things like um, independence, some sort of achievement, Um, maturity, right? When we talk about success, they're able to do things on their own. They're able to achieve things. They are mature. But if you look at all these different synonyms, the one that really stands out to me is, is independence. Independence. We really, especially in our culture, we really put up very high value on independence. I mean, if you have kids... When they can actually feed themselves, where the majority of food gets in their mouth. Oh, oh, it's awesome. When they can go to the bathroom on their own, <laughs> it's like the second coming. I mean, okay, that, God, you know I didn't mean that. Um, but, I mean, it is amazing how much we value independence. When kids can dress themselves, it doesn't just stop there. I mean, you have that group project at school or the, the project at work and you're just hoping that your employees can just do this on their own. Can they just do it on their own? Do I have to handheld them the whole entire time? Like, come on. And when they're able to do it on their own, we're like, yeah, you're awesome. You did your homework on your own. You cleaned your room on your own. It brings us to tears. I mean, this is an amazing success story a lot of times in raising kids in our jobs, the more independent we can be, the more success or the more successful we seem. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, though this may work to some extent, if you're 35, you need to know how to dress yourself, right? This is, there's some basics here. In a lot of areas of life, yeah, you need to learn how to manage your time. You need to learn how to be responsible in certain ways independently. You need to figure out how to budget your money. There's lots of good in this. I'm not throwing all this out. But how independence is successful in so many areas of life, the problem is it starts to get projected. The definition of what is successful starts to get projected into faith. And we start becoming Christ followers many times. It's like, oh. Man, if I could just stay on the straight and narrow by myself, if I just didn't need anybody's help to remind me to do my devotions or whatever, to not be tempted, I just need to be stronger on my own. Feels like I'm letting down God all the time, bothering him on things. And we take what oftentimes is seen as success in a lot of different areas of our life and we move it into our faith life and that can be extremely damaging because success in faith is not independence. It's dependence. 
dependence. And this, though it sounds simple, is really, really hard to practice because of how much in our daily lives we seek independence and how much we are rewarded for independence. If you go to Proverbs, uh, can someone get out their Bible, please? Uh, Proverbs, chapter 3, 4 and 5. Who wants to read that for me? Proverbs, some of you might have memorized. Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Someone go ahead and go there, please. Yeah, so it says, trusting the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. There's a sense of dependency there. Dependency. Not your own understanding, but dependency upon God. See, dependence is very serious business. And I think, actually someone came up to me after the first uh, session and said, this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible, and he didn't know I was actually going to talk about it tonight. But there are two verses or two sections of Scripture in the Bible that I believe are some of the absolute scariest portions of the Bible. I'm going to start with this one. John 15. Sorry, I don't have these in my notes. Um, John 15, verses 1 through 5. I will read it out. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. It's amazing how Jesus is calling himself the branch. It's just, it's just fun. It's funny, actually. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless... You abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And here's the scary part. For apart from me, you can do only 50%. No. Apart from me, you can do a good 30%. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing if you're apart from me. This word abide is a very close, connecting word. It really involves knowing someone deeply. So if you do not know me, if you are not connected to me, as intimately as a branch is connected to the vine, then you're going to accomplish nothing, nothing. And then Matthew 7, if someone could go to Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Go ahead and read that, please, someone. That's scary. That's really scary to me. God, we did all these things. We served the poor. We did all the stuff we were supposed to do. 
this isn't random people. These are church people in this verse. We did all, we checked all the boxes. Whatever that is in today's market, we had perfect attendance, whatever it is, we did all the things, and he does not deny that they did those things. Do you hear that? He doesn't say, oh, no, you didn't. He doesn't deny that. What does he say? His only rebuke is, you didn't know me. You didn't know me. Obviously, they knew some things about him, about what he had said to do, and they did a lot of things, but they did not know him. This is scary. We want to make sure that we know who God is. In order to do that, we must abide in him. We must have dependence upon God as our very gauge of success. Now, in order to discover how we can succeed, we have to go back to the original failure, the very first failure. In order to figure out really what success looks like, this dependence, we have to go back to the first failure, all the way back to the beginning. And there we have Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. And if you were to ask someone, if you were to ask, I don't know, I'd say a, a, someone who's probably grown up in the church and it's great if you were to ask the average quote-unquote Christian, um, hey, what's the problem that Jesus came to solve? I mean, seriously, what's the big deal? <laughs> Why God sent his son? Like, wow, something must have really been messed up for that to happen. What's the problem? And, you know, a lot of Christians would say, well, here's the problem. See, way back in the day, there, was, uh, there were these two trees in the Garden of Eden, two trees, both, the Bible said, there were two trees in the center of the garden. It's interesting. It feels like a center is only one spot, but there were two trees in the center. It's as if God knew whatever you choose at the center of your life will affect everything else. There are these two trees. You have one, that's the tree of life, okay? You have one, that's the tree of good and evil. No, that's not it. Don't ever be confused. There were not good things and evil things on this tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil. This whole tree is death. This whole tree, this is the tree of death. It is the knowledge of good and evil. Whose knowledge? My knowledge. Myself. Because the question between these two trees is who do I ultimately trust? Do I trust God? And what he says life is? Or do I trust myself to be able to determine what is good or evil? Who am I trusting? You see the story, Eve is like, oh man, that fruit looks good. She thinks it's going to make me wise. Just like God, that's a good thing, right? She starts going through this process of rationalizing, thinking through, disobeying God, but thinking through, oh yeah, this is good, this is good, I can see how this is good. Yeah, 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 this is making sense. This whole tree is a tree of death. Just some things look pretty on it. Our knowledge of good and evil. You see, that Christian would say, here's the problem. God gave him this choice, Adam and Eve, and they decided to disobey God, trust themselves instead, because there was a choice. God gave him, God gave them a choice. Which tree are you going to choose? It's amazing how much choice plays a role, whether it's agape love, whether it's who we're going to trust whether it's a prodigal son running away and father not stopping it, 
whether it's an older son refusing to join the party, though he had the choice. Choice, choice is everywhere. If you're a person who loves to be able to have a choice, man, you got all kinds of choices. All kinds of choices. They had a choice, Ted, this Christian might say to me. They had a choice. And they disobeyed God. They were kicked out of the garden. Kicked out. Angel flaming sword, not getting through. They're done. They're out. And there was all of a sudden a distance problem. A major distance problem between humanity and God. But then the Christian would say, oh, but Ted, there's really good news. Really, really good news. You see, God sent his son. This is the problem Jesus came to solve. There's a distance problem between us and God. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you believe that he died for the sin, the, he took the punishment that was supposed to happen to us, the death that we deserved, he took on himself. If I believe that, and I say I'm sorry and I repent for the sin that I've done in my life, and I accept him into my life, then there's no more distance problem. We're back together. And you know it, not just now, but forever. Jesus came and he solved the distance problem. And I would say, you are absolutely right. But that answer is incomplete. And it really undersells what Jesus did. Now, before you throw anything at me, this is not heresy, okay? I do believe the distance problem can be solved with a decision. I don't even know if that's how you spell it, but it's close enough. Decision. You can decide, like I just said, and that distance problem is solved. But the problem that Jesus came to solve is more than just that. And in order to demonstrate, I'm going to need to borrow someone's glasses. So, now I don't want contacts. It's, that's too much of an investment for you to dig contacts out. Okay, okay, glasses. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> They're readers? Okay, okay, that's not too bad then. All right. So, I'm going to stay on the top, top of the steps. Um, okay, so Pat, thank you for the glasses. The problem that Jesus came to solve, let's pretend that these are glasses that Pat wears all the time, that he wouldn't be able to see without wearing these. Okay? Now, if Pat, Pat, go ahead and close your eyes, please. Okay, you can open your eyes. If Pat lost his glasses, he's got a problem. He's got a major problem. There's a distance between him and his glasses. There is a distance problem. But what's the bigger problem, I shouldn't say bigger, what is at least as big a problem as the distance problem? He can't see. He can't see. You see, Adam and Eve did not just have a distance problem, they had a dependency problem. The means by which they were able to live and view reality was completely cut off from them. They lost their vision. They were no longer able to be dependent upon God. So they had a distance problem and a dependency problem. They no longer had the choice. All they could do was rely on themselves. They no longer had access to this tree. And so the problem that Jesus came to solve is not just a distance problem, it's a dependency problem. And I wish someone would have told me that when I was younger. 
All I heard was a distance problem. And so this is what happened. I gave my life to Christ at sixth grade and then at, uh, in seventh grade. Again at camp in eighth grade. Gave my life to Christ again. And then in ninth grade. I think I gave my life to Christ about five times because it wasn't taking. I was like, what's the deal? Did I not kneel down hard enough? Did I not cry enough? I, I believed, I wanted to make this decision and I decided and I knew I had decided that this, this is what is true about Jesus but no one ever told me about the dependency problem and when you don't know about the dependency problem you think that the decision solves the whole problem. And it doesn't. See, if you think that it's only a distance problem, this is what faith sounds like. It's like, it's like going to a marathon. You're gonna go run a marathon. And a marathon's great, you know. <clears throat> Anybody run a marathon? Awesome, awesome. Okay, so if you ever go to a marathon, at least some of the ones I've been to, though I've never ran in one, I just have gone to some. Different story. Um, you, you, a lot of times you show up in the early in the morning when it's dark and a lot of times it feels like the ones I've been to it's freezing cold it's cold I don't people I guess they they get warm when they run but it's freezing cold and then they so if someone said hey how was the marathon how was the marathon I'd say like oh man it was awesome we got there like 4 30 in the morning it was crazy it was freezing and then they gave us these numbers with sharp pins to get in when you're numb and you're trying to, and there's blood and it's horrible, but you get the pins in, you're the, on your shirt, maybe part of your skin, and then you line up with everybody else at the starting line, which is awesome because it's kind of warm at that point, and you're all together, and then the gun goes off, whatever, they say, go, and you, and you take off, and that was the marathon. I mean, that's not the marathon. You just described the starting line. That's what faith, when there's only one problem foreseen. Well, that's the starting line. But see, there were two problems that Jesus came to solve. And the dependency problem is not solved with just a decision. The dependency problem requires, that's a messed up arrow. Dependency requires a life of discipleship. Of discipleship. It's not just an overnight thing. Oh yeah, you get the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely amazing, but the dependency problem, figuring out how to live again by Christ, through his power, it's a discipleship journey. It is figuring out how to live by the tree of life again. And this is why I surround myself with others at church. This is the adventure of life that I am on here. This happened Many, many years ago to me. Many years ago to me. This is happening every day. This is the adventure. This is the fun. This is the challenge. It is this right here, not this, that makes up the majority of the Christian walk. And many people are still walking and living. I had someone come to me at church uh, this couple months ago. He's probably in his early 60s. And he was kind of upset. And he said to me, Ted, I've already, I've already done the Christian thing. I gave my life to Christ when I was eight. Now what? I've already done all that. As if all of that was a moment of decision. And then that should solve everything. It's a distance problem and a dependency problem. And the great, awesome, amazing, amazing news. And I have really great news and really bad news. Here's the great news. 
The great news is that when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and that we're able to make this decision, he brought the choice back. It's like, oh man, it's like being back in the garden. We get, we get to have the choice again. The Holy Spirit is in us, not just with us. He's not a coat that you can just walk without him, leave him somewhere. He's in us. And so he is in us. So we, we get the choice again. We can choose life. And it's, it's amazing. That's really, really great news. Here's the really bad news. You have a choice every day, throughout the entire day. And the longer individuals, this is what I've seen in my experience, the longer individuals have been in habits here, Picking themselves up by their own bootstraps, figuring out all the pros and cons, rationalizing every single thing, making a decision, and then analyzing all of the results, which adds nothing usually other than stress and pressure, stress, anxiety, pressure, to do what? To make the best decision out of what you can figure out the next time. And it just cycles and cycles and cycles. And then if you've actually been successful at this in your life, you're doing all right. You're doing all right in life. Well, then it's even harder to break this cycle. Because you look at this and go, Ted, I'm doing good. Have a good, have a good income. I have figured this thing out. The number one sign that we are stuck on this side is when a problem comes up, your first response is, I can figure this out. I'm going to figure this out. I am going to figure this out. It can be super confident. And see, for many of us, thinking about, Ted, what does it even mean to live a life fully dependent upon God? Where, are you telling me never to look at numbers, Ted? This doesn't even make sense. How do I choose him day in and day out? Ted, are you saying that we were actually never wired up from the very beginning? Humanity was not wired up to bear this pressure. What if this was never our job? What if we were never meant to drive ourselves crazy like we do? Stress ourselves out. Over all kinds of things. This, friends, this, I believe, is the journey of the church. Helping each other, whether it's in small groups, Bible studies, serving together, helping each other choose throughout our day not to be independent, like a goat, but to figure out dependency. To take full advantage of the problem that Jesus came to solve, which is not just eternity, but it is today, and tomorrow, and this afternoon, and tonight. We dare not miss the fullness of the solution that Christ is in our life. We dare not. Yeah, it's readers. In case you're reading something, Pat. Yeah, thanks. But this, this is very important. Um, and it's something that, again, telling your kids, telling others around you, um, because a lot of people who do not follow Christ, they don't get it. Why do you go to church every weekend? 
You can go to this country club and have a better community time, from what I've heard, and you get golf. What's the point? Didn't you already do that Christian thing? Didn't you already say yes to Jesus? And they're not understanding that it is actually, that's the starting line, and there is a beautiful race to be run, as Paul says. A wonderful race to be run. And we need to do that together. And do it being dependent upon God. And so this is what we're going to do in the last few minutes here. Because we have a talent show. Emphasis on show. Talent show coming up. Um, I want us just to pray for the next 10 minutes or so. And I'm just going to guide us in this prayer. Um, And I believe there might be some things that God has uncovered in you this week. um, About some ways that you need to know him more. Or that he desires to know uh, this relationship between you and him better. More deeply. This dependency upon him to be even more core. And maybe there's certain areas that you're, we are relying on ourselves too much. We're figuring it out, or we're, we think we can figure it out. And so we're going to pray, and, uh, and we're also going to listen. Praying is not just talking. I know you know this, but I'm reminding some of us of this. So we're going to pray. Okay, settle in, and we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's been an incredible week. And I wish I had all the answers on what dependency upon you every single day looks like. But Lord, I do know this. I do know that Jesus was dependent upon you. He didn't do anything unless he saw you doing it. We talked about that early on. We know that we're called to lean on your understanding, not our own. And that doesn't just mean in the bad times. It's all the time. Lord, I know that you say we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, that there's a very legitimate reality of us doing many, many things in your name and yet not ever know you fully. So, Lord, we don't want any of that. And so we're coming before you. And for some of us, perhaps the first step of knowing you and being dependent upon you is to, for the first time as a grown adult, to say, you know what, God? I'm going to fully surrender to you. (laughs) I'm done trying to figure it all out. And that uh, I've done things in my life that, you know what, I I deserve punishment. But that I believe, Jesus, you lived the perfect life, and yet you decided that you'd be willing to trade my death ticket for your life ticket. And you know what? Right here tonight, I want that trade. It's not fair. It makes no sense. But I believe that is true. I can't right myself. I can't walk all the way back to you. I'm lost. And I want your help. And I'm sorry for what I've done. Lord, please forgive me. And help me to step fully into your kingdom. Right here, right now. I want to know you more. Lord, for some of us, it's a recommitment. Say, yeah, I've uh, maybe I've been a little bit on cruise control, you know, doing my thing, maybe having some habits or spiritual disciplines, but it's been, I've been cruising. It hasn't been intentional enough. I haven't really been knowing anything new, 
God, I want to recommit to building my relationship with you. I want to hang out. I want to see you more, hear you more. Help me, Lord. And so right now, Lord, move among us, please. And again, just, just remind us right now, just remind us how you feel about us, please. And remind us, Lord, where is one place this past week that you have been so present? We've experienced you in some way. Just show us where has that been? And Lord, I, I ask, please, I know one of the biggest blockers to hearing you is pride. We don't need to hear you. We got this. I can figure this out. Lord, if, if there's any areas of pride that just have a bit of a stronghold on us, will you just reveal that to us as we humble ourselves before you? We know that you know us better than we Please. Will you please show us where pride is still on the throne, where we've put ourselves on the throne? Is there any area at work, at home, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our time, our energy? Lord, and as you put these things on our hearts, we just want to say that uh, we're sorry. We don't deserve that seat at your throne. Please forgive us and take your rightful place. Father, is there any other place in our lives? I know unforgiveness is absolutely huge as a blocker to hearing you and experiencing you more fully. And God, we want to know you. We want intimacy with you. So Lord, just put on our hearts and minds, is there, any, is there any unforgiveness right now in our lives? We've been wounded. We've been hurt. And we're not saying that it was okay. It's not okay. But we are saying we are going to give up our right to get even. And we're going to trust that as we give their sin to you, you can take a spot on the cross right next to our own. And so God, as we forgive those around us, will you pour out your forgiveness upon us? If there is any place that we have strayed in distance from you, any place we have strayed in dependency on you, Lord, we don't want to live like that anymore. Just pick us up on your shoulders. Bring us back to the flock, please. Lord, we accept your forgiveness. 
And whatever we are carrying, whatever sin we might be carrying, whatever pride, whatever lukewarmness, whatever we might be carrying, Lord, right here, right now, as we hold that in our hands, we just let, we just let the blood of Jesus from the cross just wash away. And you say, it is gone. It's gone. Father, there are no words to describe our gratitude towards you. But as we finish up tonight, will you just, just seal a truth upon the hearts of each person here, some truth that you have revealed throughout this week about who you are and what knowing you more looks like in their life. Whatever you have revealed to them, just seal that upon their heart, Lord, that they will not forget. And that as we walk out of this place together, we walk out knowing you more. We love you. We trust you. Um, keep being king. Keep being shepherd. You lead. We follow. Amen.